Okay, will you please turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 29. Look how far we've made it so far. Deuteronomy chapter 29. I'm going to start in verse 1. We'll go to verse 15. I was going to preach something more stewardy, but this is pretty stewardshipy itself. So let's go. Deuteronomy 29, starting in verse 1. These are the words of the covenant that the Lord commanded Moses to make with the people of Israel in the land of Moab, besides the covenant that he had made with them at Horeb, which is also Sinai. And Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, You have seen that all the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land, the great trials that your eyes saw, the signs and those great wonders. But to this day the Lord has not given you a heart to understand or eyes to see, or ears to hear. I have led you forty years in the wilderness. Your clothes have not worn out on you, and your sandals have not worn off your feet. You have not eaten bread, and you have not drunk wine or strong drink, that you may know that I am the Lord your God. And when you came to this place, Sihon, the king of Heshbon, and Og, the king of Bashan, came out against us to battle, but we defeated them. We took their land and gave it for an inheritance to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of the Manassites. Therefore, keep the words of this covenant and do them, that you may prosper in all that you do. You are standing today, all of you, before the Lord your God, the heads of your tribes, your elders, and your officers, all the men of Israel, your little ones, your wives, and the sojourner who's in your camp, from the one who chops your wood to the one who draws your water so that you may enter into the sworn covenant of the Lord your God, which the Lord your God is making with you today, that he may establish you today as his people, and that he may be your God, as he promised you, and as he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And it's not with you alone that I am making this sworn covenant, but with whoever is standing here with us today, before the Lord our God, and with whoever is not here with us today. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's increasingly amazing to us all the time, your wisdom and how you've woven all of this together, and how you're a covenant-keeping God. So, oh Lord, we pray, please help us to clearly understand, help me to be clear, help us to clearly understand, give us eyes and ears and hearts that can understand this passage spiritually discern this passage, O Lord, but also that this passage may be pressed in on us by the power of your Spirit, that you would use it mightily in our lives. We, we ask it, Lord, because that's whom we're in total dependence on, your Spirit. So we pray, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, please help us in Jesus' name. Amen. Commitment. Starting with that scary word. Commitment. I actually want to start tonight by calling to your mind that, that rom-com cliche of the guy who's afraid to commit. Uh, he's got a pretty typical profile. He's usually got a wonderful girlfriend, and he's a dud. He's kind of selfish and immature, and he wants to keep his options open, and doesn't really want responsibility. He's a free-floating man, and you know that character. That cliche, well, I think when he pops on the screen, everybody in the audience has the same reaction. We just want to shake him, say, are you nuts? 
Look at this wonderful lady in your life. Just commit already. And I bring up this man because I think he gets our minds going in the right direction for our passage tonight. Because in verse 1, we hear that the law has just finished. The covenant document's all done. It's all been read. And now as God's people are standing there on the plains of Moab, they're waiting to go into the promised land. Moses takes this opportunity to give an impassioned sermon about commitment. That's what all of chapter 29 and chapter 30, that's what they're about. They're a two-chapter sermon about commitment to the covenant. You've just heard about the covenant, now commit, people. And of course, Israel needed this sermon because they're a lot like the man who's afraid to commit. They just spent 40 years rebelling and whining and doubting, and they keep getting tempted to new idolatry, and so Israel needed this word. They needed a, a, a Moses to press in on them. Commit. Commit to this covenant. And if Israel needed this word back then, you can bet that we need this word today. Because the sad thing is, none of us are as committed to the Lord and his covenant as we ought to be. And so tonight we'll look at just the first part of Moses' sermon. It's a sermon on a part of a sermon, I realize, but... First, we'll see what it means to commit. Then we'll see a, a really big reason, a good reason to commit, the first of four. And then we'll talk about a, the reason why we don't commit like we should. All in this passage. So first, let's talk about what it means to commit. You know, a lot of times in sermons, it's pretty good practice because a lot of books of the Bible work this way. It's good to call people to something at the end of the sermon. So you have all this truth that you build up, all these things that God has done for people, all this understanding, and then you can take that and leverage it and say, on the basis of all of this, now go and do this. That's how the Bible works so often. Uh, that's not what I want to do tonight. I actually, I want you to see the thing that God's calling for first. That happens in Scripture sometimes too. So I can, I can spend the rest of the time pushing it on to you. Uh, so what is that thing that God's calling you to in this passage? Well, he's calling you to greater commitment to his covenant. Or uh, he's calling you to a greater commitment to your relationship with him. Maybe it helps you to have it said that way. Uh, he's calling for this on two different levels. On one level, he's calling for them to have a covenant renewal ceremony. He has a ritual in mind, do this thing, but then even more importantly, he wants them to have this commitment, not just in a ceremony, but in all of their life. So let's look at those two levels. First, you're looking at uh, verses 10 through 15, you see that God's calling his people to have a ceremony, a covenant renewal ceremony. So all the law has been given up through verse 20, or chapter 28, that's why in verse 1 it says, these are the words of the covenant, it's sort of his wrap up. Wrap-up of the words of the covenant, the Lord's covenant document's finished, uh, and now God's calling his people to come together, everybody. Everybody stand before him. He gives it from the greatest to the least, Every, even the guy that draws your water. I want you all there, and recommit yourselves to the covenant. Especially important at this juncture, because think about this, the first generation of people with whom the covenant was made at Sinai, they're all dead. They didn't make it through the wilderness except for a couple of exceptions. 
And so this is a really crucial time to recommit to the covenant before you go into the land. Second generation, some of whom actually saw some of these things as children, but not many. So God's calling them to have a covenant renewal. Actually, more specifically in Hebrew, in verse 12, God's calling his people, verse 12, your ESV says something like, that you may enter into, in Hebrew it's a little different, he calls his people to pass through the covenant, avar, pass through the covenant. So the first time I read that in this week, I thought, well, that, it's kind of a strange way to talk about renewing a, you pass through it? Actually, studying more, I found out this language is referring back to Genesis 15, when God did his first covenant ceremony with Abram, before he was Abraham, and back in Genesis 15, God told Abram, cut animals in two, and then the Lord passed through the pieces. Uh, what he was doing was he was making a covenant with Abraham. You can talk about a covenant, you can cut a covenant, that's usually how it's talked about, you can pass through the covenant. God was making a covenant with Abram, he was, when God passed through these pieces, it was as though God was saying, what was done to these animals May it be done to me if I should ever break this covenant. As though God could ever break a covenant. Well, that's the significance of the covenant ceremony God's calling for. He's asking his people, pass through this covenant. And the ESV gets it pretty good about enter into the sworn covenant of the Lord. Uh, so that's the significance of this covenant ceremony God's calling for. But I want to get something more, maybe even more important. Uh, more importantly, throughout this sermon... God's going to call his people to be committed to this covenant in all of life. Because, you know, it's one thing to just say I do in a ceremony before an altar, but it's another thing to love your spouse five years later, ten years later, fifteen years later, uh, as Elder Dollar would say, on a Tuesday. And so through Moses, God is calling his people. He calls them to recommit themselves to him some nine to ten times in this sermon. Hear a drumbeat in this sermon. Like verse 9, Therefore, keep the words of this covenant and do them. Verse 29, the things that are revealed belong to us and our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. Chapter 30, verse 10, when you turn to the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. Chapter 30, verse 16, if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today, by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, by keeping his commandments. I could multiply examples. I didn't want to read them all to you, but... What's the Lord calling his people to do over and over again? He's calling them to love him and obey him. It's really two sides of the same coin. Love me by obeying me, he's saying. He's calling them to a fundamental commitment to their relationship. Well, now that you see this, brothers and sisters, uh, you have to ask, you have to do that little translation work in your head and think, okay, well, what, what does this mean for me? I think it's pretty easy here. Is God not calling you to the same things today? Is he not calling you to be more committed to him? God still wants all of your heart. He still wants you to keep covenant. He still wants you to love him by obeying him. That has not changed. I'm thinking of this Old Testament covenant renewal ceremony. These kinds of ceremonies, they're not totally foreign to us today. They look different. Or else we'd have maybe a new cattle pen being put up in the back, right? And our new construction. They look different, but 
So just think about this, applying this to different people. If you're a person and you've never committed yourself to the Lord, well, God would call you to something similar. He'd call you to commit yourself to his covenant. If you want to be a Christian, God calls you to a decisive moment. He calls you to a breaking of the old things and a, and a taking up of new things. He's calling you to a heartfelt commitment moment. God's calling you, if you're not, if you've never been a Christian before, he's calling you to say by faith, you are my God now. You are my Lord now. I want to be in covenant with you. I want a relationship with you. And the reason you're able to be in covenant with him, if you've never been in covenant with him, is because Jesus has made a new covenant by his blood. Jesus became the significance of the, of the sacrificial animals of the old covenant, the ones that were cut in two. He was cursed and ripped apart on the cross so that you didn't have to be as a covenant breaker. So if you've never been a Christian, you can come and have a loving relationship with God tonight. You can be committed and have a God committed to you in a covenant relationship tonight. That's the application of all of this. If you've never been a Christian before, he would have you come into covenant with him. But what about if you are a Christian? Well, then first of all, well, we, we still have a covenant renewal ceremony. Don't we? Covenant renewal is not a strange thing to us Presbyterians. We renew our covenant with God every week at the Lord's Supper. Every week we stand before the Lord with our little ones. We acknowledge him to be our Lord. We say, you are our Lord. We remember how Christ took away our curse. Uh, we have a whole cup. that shows that his blood was spilled for us, that he was ripped asunder for us. So we still renew covenant with him. And interestingly... Let's go a little deeper. This also calls baptism to mind for me. Do you say, how is that, Pastor Rosser? Well, at least a little bit. Give you some good theology here. Look what Moses says in verse 14. He says, it's not with you alone that I'm making this sworn covenant, but with whoever is standing here with us today before the Lord our God and with whoever is not here with us today. Hebrew, it's a little bit clearer. He's not saying the people that just decided to stay home. Uh, He's talking about covenant children. He's talking about future generations. It's clear in the Hebrew. He's talking about posterity. He's talking about your offspring. He's talking about people yet to come. He's talking about how the covenant was for people who were there and for their children. That's why we baptize our children. That's what we believe. So yeah, God ordained these ceremonies for our good, but he doesn't just want ceremonies. He wants us to do these ceremonies. They're good for us, but he doesn't just want these ceremonies. You know, the Christian life is not just about ritual. It has important rituals. It's not just about rituals. You know, the Christian life is far from just a one-and-done deal. Well, I did the ritual. I'm good now. God wants this commitment from you in all of life. He wants you to, have a, to enter into a commitment to the covenant. He wants you to renew this covenant, but he also wants you to be wholly committed to him from your heart. He wants you to be wholly committed to him. And how do you show that? Well, you obey his commands more and more, better and better. That's what repentance is. It's saying, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to obey his commands now. So at this point, I think the application of this sermon is really different for each individual person. Because only you know how you need to show greater commitment to God. Only you know that for yourself. Maybe... You just aren't spending any time with him. And you need to. 
maybe you're letting your family prioritize just about anything but him. Maybe all the busyness is crowding out family worship, crowding out time together with him. Maybe you have loads of free time and you're not using it for anybody but yourself. Maybe all your income just goes to you and more comfort. Maybe you're just letting yourself slip into complaining or coarse joking or other sins. It could be all kinds of things. The point is, as I press this in on you, the point is the Lord's calling you to a deeper commitment to him today. And only you know what that means for you. I'll just have to leave that to the Holy Spirit to press in on your heart what that is. But now to keep pressing this in, let's go to our second point. Let's talk about our first really good reason to commit that Moses gives us. You know, there are, there are lots of good reasons to commit yourself more to God. You probably have your favorite reason. You say, well, it's all about this, or it's all about this. Or, but throughout Moses' sermon, as you look at all of 29 and 30, these chapters, uh, Moses gives us four really big reasons we should be more committed to the covenant. He presses in four things. There's so much in each one. I wanted to preach them all at once, and I thought, well, let's linger on each one. Uh, those reasons are, though, this little sneak peek at where we're going in future weeks. First reason is all the wonderful things that he's done for us. It's a great reason to commit yourself more to him. Second reason is the terrible things that will happen if you're not committed to him. We'll look at that next week. Third thing is the great grace that he has for us, even when we fail. And then fourth, it's the utter reasonableness of committing everything to him. The utter reasonableness of it. So tonight we're just taking a deep dive into the first reason, and our first big reason for committing more to our relationship with God is that he's done such wonderful things for us. I'm sure everybody in this room has somebody in their life. You have to think about who this is. It'll be a fun thing to talk about later, maybe on the ride home. Uh, who is it in my life that I would just do anything for this person? Like if anything they ask, you know, not sin, but anything they ask, like, yeah, I would, I would I'd do anything for that person. It might be that grandmother, grandfather that you always could pick up the phone. You'd talk to them about anything. It might be that friend, that friend that stuck with you through thick and thin. You say, oh, yeah, I'd do anything for that guy. Uh, it might be that teacher that really believed in you and shaped you and took extra time for you or, or whatever. Whenever you've got someone in your life who's done a lot for you, something really significant for you, you feel like, I would never tell them no. They ask me anything, I'm doing it. Because they've been so good to me. And of course, this is your God times infinity. And that's the point he makes for us in verses 2 through 9, that whole section. You look at these reasons, just look at them. Verse 2, he says to them, You have seen all that the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh, to all his servants, to all his land, the great trials that your eyes saw, the signs, the great wonders. You know what the Lord's reminding them of? He's reminding them, I rescued you. Not only did I rescue you, I rescued you in miraculous ways. He rescued them. Then in verse 5, I led you 40 years in the wilderness. He's saying, I led you. I guided you. Verse 5, your clothes have not worn out on you. Your sandals have not worn off your feet. 
You have not eaten bread. You have not drunk wine or strong drink that you may know that I am the Lord your God. He's saying, I provided for you. I took care of you. Not only did I take care of you, I took care of you in a way that you could never say that anybody else did it. Unmistakably, God had to be the one that did it. Verse 7, when you came to this place, Sihon, king of Heshbon, Og, king of Bashan, came out against us to battle, but we defeated them. What's he saying? He's saying, I protected you. Verse 8, we took their land, gave it for an inheritance to the Reubenites, the Gadites, etc. God's saying, I have already started giving you every single one of my promises. The promises have begun. Promises, are, there are, the, the tap's open, they're already flowing out. So you come to the end of this first point of Moses' sermon, and you see how he's pressing this in on God's people. God's people, you need to commit to him. He has rescued you. He has led you. He has provided for you. He has protected you. He started keeping every promise for you. You'll actually notice, this is fascinating, the language starts to shift to the first person perspective in verse 5. Did you see that? I noticed that. It says, all of a sudden, you know, before that, it's Moses speaking, but then God kind of, every once in a while you'll notice, in, in prophetic utterances, God just bleeds through, and it's God speaking and not the man. I give you the shivers. You see that in verse 5? We see this is, a, this is 100% God's word flowing through this man. So the only question you're left with at the end of all this is, you're just wondering, how could you not commit yourself more to a God like that? Israel, he's given you everything. He's been with you through everything. And, and that's exactly where we find ourselves with God. Th this is nothing new. This is so easy to apply. Has not God done all of those things for you, but more so? Because God has done wonders to rescue you, he sent his son, he judged his son, he raised his son from the dead to save you, he's rescued you, God has, he said he led them, he's led you by his spirit, you've seen it in your life, he's inclined your heart in certain directions, he sent you teachers to guide you, certain providences to keep you in the way. He's opened doors, he's closed doors, he has led you by his spirit. Uh, has he not taken care of you? Has he not given you your daily bread? If you're honest, hasn't he provided for you in ways that you knew it had to be him? He brought you to a place. You needed something, he brought it, you thought there's no other way that any other person gave me this. This was from God. Has he not protected you? I can look back at my life, I think of all the near misses I've avoided. But also, more than just near misses to my body, I will die someday, there will be one that finds its mark, right? But also, how many false teachings has he preserved you from? How many, how many false teachers has he chased from your door so you could still be here? And I'm sure he's already begun to give you some of the things that he's promised. He's given you Pastor Trice said, you have already started to enter into the new life. He's given you fruits of the Spirit, made you more Christ-like. But also, every once in a while, as you sit in church, you sit with your family, you sit with some Christian friends that you're really close to, don't you get these little tastes of glory? 
this is where it's at. I know I'm, I'm already starting to receive some of the promises, just a little taste of some of the promises, but he's begun to give you, he's rescued you, he has led you, he's taken care of you, he's protected you, he's already started giving you the promises. The only question that remains then is, okay, well, same question. How could you not commit more to a God like that? It's a very compelling reason to commit yourself more to him, that he's been so good to you. And that leads us to our last point. Talked about what it means to commit to him. Talk about like a really big reason, a really great reason to commit yourself to him. We'll have more reasons in weeks to come. Let's talk about our last point. Let's talk about a really big reason that we don't commit like we should. It's in this passage. I mean, if we're honest with ourselves, even though God has been, this is to our shame, even though God has been so abundantly good to us, there are still so many ways that we're not as committed to him as we should be. This was the case in Moses' day, you better believe. Uh, God tells them why in verse 4. He says, to this day, the Lord has not given you a heart to understand or eyes to see or ears to hear. Curious thing to say, isn't it? But it's really showing us why. Turns out this is a heart problem. Unless you think this is, well, it's God's fault. He didn't give me the, well, no. The Bible teaches very clearly that as a consequence of the fall, as a consequence of man being warped and twisted after sin and iniquity, and uh, as a consequence of the fall, we're all born dead, spiritually dead which means our hearts are dead. It means our hearts naturally don't want the right things. Our hearts don't appreciate the right things. Uh, naturally, we're just numb to the things of God. We, we love other anything else but God more, naturally. It's actually more than that. It's also that we're spiritually blind. We're blind to our sin, blind to God's goodness, and we're born, we're naturally, we're deaf. When we hear the truth, we don't get it. Corinthians says, 1 Corinthians 2 says, we don't get it as natural men because they're spiritually taught, spiritually discerned. But when we do understand it, we just plug our ears to it, go, la, 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 I'd rather that not be true, so may it not be true. This is the problem that happens all throughout the Old Testament. Isaiah 6, the Lord said to Isaiah, go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. And this problem, you think, oh, that's an Old Testament problem. Well, that problem persists in the New Testament. When Paul tries to explain why don't his Jewish countrymen, why don't they still see the truth of the Messiah? It's staring them right in the face. Why don't they get it? Well, he alludes to a combination of this verse and Isaiah 29. He blends them together. Romans chapter 11, verse 8 says, As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear down to this very day. This is the problem that every human being has before the Holy Spirit comes in and fixes this problem. 
And if we're honest, this is the problem that we're still, as we have the Spirit and we're given new life, given new heart, given new eyes, given new ears, this is the problem we're still emerging from. Even though the Spirit's given us these things, there's still so much beauty that we don't appreciate. There's still so much of His goodness we're not treasuring, so much of His will that we don't really want to do. So where does that leave us? This is where we start to apply this. Where does this leave us? Well, the Lord wants us to love him. He wants us to obey him. He wants us to be more committed. But our hearts are still so cold. Paul said in Romans 7, I have the desire to do what's right, but not the ability. Uh, We do not do the good that we want. But the evil we do not want is what we keep on doing. Paul says. So then what's the answer? How can we ever hope to overcome this? I've said commit more. This passage has said, but hard. For hearts, for eyes, for... Well, here's the answer. We need the Holy Spirit. He's the answer. So very excited because this is my chance in this sermon to exalt the Holy Spirit and to point you to the Holy Spirit for help. He's the only person who can give you a new heart. That's what he does. Ezekiel 36, he promises, I'll give you a new heart, a new spirit I'll put within you. He's the only person who can give you new spiritual eyes, new spiritual ears. Through the Gospels, Jesus heals the blind and he heals the deaf, to teach us partially this lesson, that he's the only one we can turn to for this kind of thing. As Jesus preaches, he even says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. We need his spirit to give us these spiritual ears, to open our ears, open our eyes. All this to say, if you have people in your life that you love them and you're just aching, to see them more committed to Jesus Christ. You're watching them. You're saying, you are not committed. Well, the Holy Spirit is your answer. He's the one you have to appeal to. He's the one you have to trust. You can't nag them into it. Or if you want to be more committed yourself, if you start to mourn to see your own lukewarmness, You feel so blind to so many things in the Christian life. You say, they all see how great this is, and I don't really see how great this is. And The Holy Spirit is who you need. That's who you need. You need more of him. So that really begs the question, well, how do you go about getting that help? How do you go about getting more of his Holy Spirit? Well, I'll tell you. One, pray for him. This is the kind of prayer that God loves to answer. If you say, I don't feel it, I don't see it, I don't get it, you pray, you ask, and you will receive, and you seek, and you will find him. He promises that. You ask for him. Ask for him. Then, you abide in him. That means live in him. It means connect yourself to him. Connect yourself to his spirit, which is two things, two hands. One, Get yourself as far away from sin as you can. Don't grieve him by your sin. 
Cleanse your hands, cleanse your ways, make yourself a, a good conduit for the Spirit to blow. It also means intentionally. It means draw away from certain things. It also means connect yourself to Him in the places where He's promised to meet you. I've told my youth groupers before, you want to woo a lady, you want to date a lady, you've got to go to the places where she's going to be and like the things she's going to like. You've got to be around her. You've got to connect yourself to her. Oh, it's, with, it's the same with the Holy Spirit. Go where he's promised to meet you. He said, I will meet you in, your, in my word. I will meet you in worship. I will meet you amongst my people. I will meet you as you help the needy, as you serve in the ways that I delight. He says, I'll meet you there. People want it to be so much more complicated. They want it to be a certain amulet, a certain formula, a certain... No, it's, it's this. You want more of the Spirit. You want to see more. You want to experience more. You want to feel more. You want to... Okay, well, ask Him. Cleanse your way. Connect to Him. Go where He goes. Go where He's promised to go. He promises, if you seek me, you will find me. can't tell you how many times in my life I've said, Lord, I don't even... I remember in college still, it was just very alarming to my roommate heard a sermon by Paul Washer. He said, when was the last time you ever wept over sin? I said, well, never. So I prayed, Lord, help me to be broken by my sin. My roommate Dave Kong comes in, sees me there on the floor weeping, and he says, uh, I'll come back. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, if you seek him, you'll find him. The point is that you need him. You desperately need the Holy Spirit. You want to strengthen your commitment, you need the Holy Spirit. You're just not going to be able to do it on your own. You can't just go, I'm going to commit. You need more of the Spirit to do that, and that's how you seek him. Okay, so now to start concluding. Uh, in the end, I'm praying that the Spirit would use this exhortation that I'm bringing tonight. Uh, e even as he used the same exhortation over three millennia ago in the days of Moses. May he show you the ways... May he show you the ways that you personally need to be more committed to him. I'm hoping that there's even already something springing to your mind. The commandments you need to pay more attention to, or the concrete ways you need to be loving him with more of your heart, more of your mind, more of your strength. Because our first reason for tonight, we'll look at three more later, but the first reason tonight, because, well, he has been so intimately connected to your relationship, to your good, it's only right that he wants the same commitment back from you. So remember how we started tonight. We started tonight, uh, failure to commit boyfriends have a problem committing in all those movies because they have bad hearts. So they don't have a, a lot of hope of changing. But you do, though. You do. Because you have the Holy Spirit of the living God living inside of you. Something people in Moses' day didn't have in that measure. And he invites you to seek more of him with a promise that he'll be found by you. So, my closing encouragement is this. Seek his Holy Spirit. And may the Spirit of God help you to recommit yourself to him in fresh new ways, in stronger ways. Message of Deuteronomy 29. Amen. Let's pray. So our Father, we, Holy Spirit, we exalt you, saying we need you. 
We need more of your spirit, O oh Lord. So we pray for it. We pray for you. Pray for him. Pray for you, Lord. May we have more of your spirit. May you give us, may you open our eyes even wider, open our ears even wider, soften our hearts even more, O oh Lord, so that we might be more committed to you in all of life. We ask your help. We're totally dependent on you. We don't just ask for ourselves too, Lord. There are people even springing to our mind, people that we're aching to see more committed to you. We pray, Lord, that you would be working in their hearts as well. We pray all these things by faith, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.